Blog Talk Radio. sanctification, but I will tell you this, the clear word of Scripture is that your sanctification is directly related to your pursuit of the knowledge of Christ in all His glory. And welcome to another Grace to You weekend with John MacArthur. In a few minutes, John is going to begin a new study, a series that will show you what it looks like practically speaking, to love, honor, and serve Jesus Christ. His study is called Lessons for a Modern-Day Disciple. 
First, though, we're joining the studio with John MacArthur and a special guest, uh, Phil Johnson, Executive Director of Grace to You. Uh, now, Phil, uh, today's discussion, and in a, in a way, the entire series is focused on a single word. I'll let you take it from there. Carl, that one word is discipleship. We're talking about it for the next two weeks with John MacArthur. And uh, we're listening to some of his messages from the Shepherds Conference, recent Shepherds Conferences. And in the passage you're going to look at today, John, Jesus disciples Peter. And all believers, in some sense, have been discipled by the Lord, because after all, to be a Christian is to be a disciple of Christ. With that in mind, what does it look like for us who, unlike Peter, we don't see Jesus face to face? How are we discipled by Christ? I think in the very same way Peter was, Jesus discipled him by his word and by his example. It was both how he lived his life in front of Peter and what he said. And all of that, thank God, is recorded in the Gospels. And that's why our Lord said, when I go away, it's going to be better for you because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is going to bring you into all truth and he's going to remind you of everything I've said to you. And, of course, that was a basically a promise that they would receive all this and write it down. That was a promise for inspiration in the writing of the New Testament and the Gospels in particular. So we don't lack anything that Peter had. We have the example of Christ laid out four times in four Gospels. We have the words of Christ often repeated again and again in those four Gospels. We have even more than that because we have the indwelling Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit of Christ in us, instructing us on all of that. And then we have the rest of the New Testament, which explains the significance of everything Jesus did and said. And that is why Jesus said again, it's better for you that I go away. If the Comforter comes, he will enable you to write all of this. He will take up residence in you and become your personal truth teacher. I would far rather be John MacArthur or Phil Johnson today than I would be Peter in the time of Christ. Hmm. Uh, obviously, Peter had some pretty serious failings in his life. Jesus was saying it is better to have the Holy Spirit in you than to have me with you. And you remember he said that. He said, the, he has been with you, the Spirit has been with you in me. Jesus says, the Spirit has been with you in me because everything I've done is done by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's far better that I go and you have the Spirit in you. Hmm. That's what discipleship is. All that Jesus said, all that he did, magnificently revealed in Scripture, that the believer will be complete in every sense and with the resident truth teacher dwelling in him. All, everything is there for the fullness of discipleship. People think of discipleship as a mentoring relationship, but it's really more about loving Christ. It is. It, it is about Christ. When you talk about mentoring, it isn't so much the human example. Uh, and I think Paul sums it up when he says this, be ye followers of me, and then he adds this, as I am of Christ. Hmm. I'm not saying to someone, you need to be like me. You need to be like me as much as I'm like Christ. Right. So the mentoring is really the responsibility. I think this is the best way to understand it. The responsibility to pass on the realities of Christ to someone. Yeah, and that's what Paul is talking about in 2 Timothy 2, 2, where he says, What you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will teach others also. Right. That's the relay. You know, Paul to Timothy to others 
also. The title of this series again, Lessons for a Modern Day Disciple. Stay here for a message titled, The Transforming Effect of Loving Christ. From the heights of that elevated summation of the evidential and evangelistic purposes of the Gospel of John, from that elevated, glorious revelation of the risen Christ, we come to chapter 21, and it's like being dropped off a cliff and landing with a thud. Can't we just end with Christ? Why do we have to go back to Peter? This is a very disappointing narrative at first. Do we really need this? Can't we just go flying into the book of Acts and and to the ascension and to the day of Pentecost and see that, Peter? Why do we need this one? There's an answer to that. It's because with all the glory that has come through to the end of chapter 20, eventually that glory ends up in clay pots. This is for us. This has to be part of the story. So how does Jesus, here's the question, how does Jesus disciple a disciple? How does Jesus restore a disobedient disciple? How did Jesus disciple a disobedient, weak, vacillating disciple? Do you love me? Shocking for its simplicity. There's no ambiguity in that, right? There's no ambiguity. There's no mystery. Do you love me? Always the question for a disobedient believer. Go right to the heart. Do you love me more than these? You mean more than these other disciples? (laughs) That wouldn't work. They were as guilty as he was. They all defected. They all went back to fishing. They were equally disobedient. No. Do you love me more than these boats and nets and corks and weights and anchors and trappings of your former life? Do you love me more than the stuff that made up your life? Which is like saying, if any man will come after me, let him what? Deny himself. You've got to let go of everything that made up your life. He uses the word agapao the highest, noblest love of the will. Do you love me more than these things? Do you love me more than anything in this world? I think Peter must have been very sorrowful. He said to him, verse 15, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. But he changed the word. He didn't use agapao, the highest, noblest love of the will. He dropped it down a notch. He said, I I love you, and he used phileo, which simply means a warm affection. I like you a lot. Why did he do that? Because he was exposed. He was guilty. He was broken. He was humbled. He would have been a fool to say, I love you at the highest, noblest level. He couldn't say that. He says, Lord, you know, you know that I like you a lot. Say, that's a sad admission. Well, isn't it kind of sad to have to depend on omniscience? I mean, it isn't even obvious you've got to call on omniscience. He didn't say, Lord, you've seen my life. Isn't it obvious? No. He said, "Um, I have to call on your omniscience, and you know that I have deep affection for you. Let me tell you something. I think that moment was a moment of blessing. I think it's a blessing when the Lord knows 
everything, and He knows that we love Him, even when it's not obvious. I'll say it another way. I'm glad that the Lord knows the things I desperately want Him to know, and that is such a blessing to me. I'm okay if He knows the things I really don't want Him to know. I need Him to know I love Him because sometimes it's not obvious. He knows I love Him truly. I don't love Him as I should. My love isn't everything it should be, but it's real. That's what Peter's saying. Amazingly. I mean, this is amazing. The Lord says to him, Basque my lambs. Shepherd my lambs. This is His ordination. You're accepted. Really? After all the ridiculous things that Peter has done, and here's just previous to this, another evidence of his impulsive disobedience, he puts him right back in the ministry, feed my lambs. And I, I would just tell you to look at, the, look at the pronoun here, personal pronoun. They're mine, and I'm turning them over to you. With far less than perfect love, the Lord deserves and desires, with love lower in quality than the Lord receives from all those who are around him in heaven, Peter is restored to the ministry with a love that isn't even visible to anyone except the Lord in his omniscience. Feed my lambs, my little ones, young, tender, weak, vulnerable, prone to wander, prone to stray, I'm putting them in your hands. said to him a second time in verse 16, Simon, son of John or Jonas, do you love me? Agapao. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, okay. Poimino, shepherd my sheep. Third time. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And this time he dropped down to Peter's word, and he questioned even the lower-level love that Peter thought he could get away with. Do you really have strong affection for me? This really hurt. This probes into Peter's heart. This is a spiritual biopsy. Cuts some of Peter's soul open. And Peter was grieved Lupeo, to have a pain, a deep pain or grief in the heart. Not because it was the third time. He needed three times. After all, he had denied the Lord three times. It wasn't because it was the third time. It was because the third time the Lord questioned even the love that he thought he could get by with. And again, he calls on omniscience, he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. It's always clay pots, isn't it? With all our flaws and all our failures, all he asks out of us is that in his omniscience, he knows our love is not perfect, but it's real. It's real. Now, this love has a cost. Verse 18. Okay, Peter, you love me? Truly, truly, I say to you. Twenty-five times in the Gospel of John we have that little formula. 
meaning something very important. This is a verbal call to attention. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself, put on your own clothes, walk wherever you wished, did what you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands. What in the world does that mean? It's a euphemism for crucifixion. When you're old, you're going to stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. How do you know it's his crucifixion? Because the next statement is, he said this signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. History tells us he was crucified. Deny yourself and then what? Take up your cross. This is a living illustration of Luke 9.23. Peter, you will be arrested and you will be executed by crucifixion. You will be a martyr. Welcome back into the ministry. <laughs> Remember when I told you if they hated me, they will hate you? Say, oh, Lord, give the guy a break. What are you telling him that for? You, do you want to live your whole life? thinking around every corner is your crucifixion? Why did you tell him that? I think it was the best news Peter ever heard in his life. What? Yeah, because what it told Peter is this. The next time you face death for me, you will not deny me. I think he lived in the triumph of that promise. That's the best news he ever heard. That steeled him for the future. And then, on the day of Pentecost, he was given the fullness of the Spirit, and he was dynamite right down to being crucified. And when he was to be crucified, he didn't think he was worthy to be crucified like his Lord, so he asked to be crucified upside down. Can you imagine him saying, I'm not going to fail again. When it happens, I'm not going to fail again. I'm not going to fail. He had no confidence in himself. He had no history of faithfulness. In the face of danger, he was a disaster. The promise that he would face death triumphantly and die was the best news he could have ever heard. This is like Luke 14, 26. If any man comes after me and doesn't hate his own life, he can't be my disciple. Do you love me? Do you love me enough to deny yourself? Do you love me enough to take up a cross if that's what I ask? Do you love me that much? There's one other component. This is love that not only demands a sacrifice, but it demands obedience. Look at verse 19 again. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Again, those are the three components of Luke 9.23. Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. That's what it means to be a disciple. He says, Follow me. Love that sacrifices in the face of death is love that obeys in life. But like everything else with Peter, everything is hard. Everything. Verse 20, the Lord says, follow me. Next statement, Peter turning around. Give me a break. This is impossible. Give, move down one notch to Andrew or somebody else. Are you kidding me? 
So Peter turns around, sees John, and um, he says, Lord, verse 21, what about him? I mean, this is remediation beyond comprehension. And then you have one, really one of the funniest statements. And Jesus didn't say a lot of funny things, but this is funny. He says, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? If, if he lives to the second coming, it's none of your business. <laughs> that's called hyperbole. That's not only hyperbole, that's sarcasm. That is dripping sarcasm. I mean, and that's what you say when you finally become so exasperated with your kids that you resort to dripping hyperbolic sarcasm. What about him? I'm going to die, right? I'm going to die. What about him? I'm telling you, Peter is a constant project. It's irrelevant, Jesus says. It is irrelevant if I want him to live till the second coming. And so, of course, the rumor went out. You know what I heard? John is going to live till the second coming. <laughs> the saying went out among the brethren, verse 23, that the disciple would not die. Yet Jesus didn't say to him that he wouldn't die, only that if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? Irrelevant. Well, they became buddies, didn't they, Peter and John? So this is, this is emphatic, the statement that our Lord gives in the original. You follow me. You, verse 22, you follow me. Forget about anybody else. Again, this is, this is Luke 9, 23. Deny yourself, face death. Follow me. John did die 30 years after Peter by the end of the first century, most likely on the island of Patmos. 30 years really after both Peter and Paul were martyred. So the gospel of John, the glory of God shining in the face of Jesus Christ, rich, exalted, theological, profound, presenting the Son of God as the I Am, demonstrating His glorious deity by words and works, leading to the massive, glorious conclusion of chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. Many other signs Jesus performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life in His name. That glorious conclusion is where the gospel reaches its zenith. We tumble from the end of chapter 20, from the pristine heights of glory, down to the difficulty of putting this glory in earthen vessels. That's us. And all the Lord asks is this. Do you what? Love me. I'll accept less than a perfect love, but not less than a real love. Peter learned his lessons. Turn to 1 Peter 5, and that's where we'll wrap up. 1 Peter 5. Now Peter's going to talk to us as a faithful shepherd. I'm glad he finally got here, aren't you? Peter writes, Therefore I exhort the elders among you. That's us. As your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, 
and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you. You know what he's doing? He's repeating exactly what Jesus said to him three times. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, not yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Peter has gone from being a disciple who needed to be discipled to becoming our teacher our inspired teacher telling us to shepherd the flock of God. That's John MacArthur beginning his brand new series here on Grace to You Weekend titled Lessons for a Modern Day Disciple. Now, if you want to be a disciple of Christ to truly experience the transforming effect of loving him that John's sermon is focused on, remember what John and Phil discussed before the lesson today. Being discipled by Christ means you have to commit to studying his word. If you're looking to make that commitment, perhaps renew it right now, let me encourage you to get a copy of the Grace to You flagship resource, the MacArthur Study Bible. It has study notes on virtually every passage of Scripture. It has the tools you need to grow in your knowledge of Christ and His will for your life. Order your copy of the MacArthur Study Bible as you get in touch today. Order when you call the toll-free customer service line 1-800-55-GRACE. Or go to our website, gty.org. Prices on the Study Bible are reasonable and shipping is free. Again, order the MacArthur Study Bible when you call 800-55-GRACE or shop online at gty.org. By the way, at that website, gty.org, make sure you take advantage of the thousands of free resources available there, uh, including the Grace Stream. This is a continuous broadcast of John's verse-by-verse teaching that begins in Matthew chapter 1 and goes all the way through Revelation 22. So whether you have five minutes or maybe a few hours, log on and listen to the life-changing truth of God's Word. Grace Stream is just one of the numerous resources available to you free of charge at gty.org. And now for John MacArthur and Phil Johnson, I'm your host, Carl Miller, thanking you for making the broadcast a part of your day and reminding you to watch Grace to You television Sundays on DirecTV, channel 378, or check your local listings for broadcast times in your area. And then come back next week to see what you might give up to be a modern-day disciple of Christ as John MacArthur continues unleashing God's truth one verse at a time on Grace to You Weekend.
Oh 
with the song, The Old Red Cross. Here on Tributory, and now they're singing this one, Love Like This, here on Tributory.
Sign up for daily email insights from Ken Ham when you go to AnswersRadio.com. You can also view a full transcript of this program and see photos of our Noah's Ark at AnswersRadio.com. God keeps his promises. This is Ken Ham, president of Answers Genesis, the Ark Encounter, and the Creation Museum. Over the next two weeks, we're looking at ten reasons every Christian should be a creationist. Number two, God keeps his promises. After the global flood of Noah's day, God put his rainbow in the sky. This was the sign of his promise to man that he would never again flood the whole earth. Now, some Christians say this was just a local flood. But if that's true, then God has broken his promise many times. There have been many devastating floods since the time of Noah. If God broke his promise, what about his other promises? But if Noah's flood was global, as clearly described in Genesis, there's no problem. God kept his promise then, just as he does now. God's promises are true. Get answers to your questions about the flood, Noah's Ark, the animals, and more when you go to AnswersRadio.com and view a transcript of this program at AnswersRadio.com. You're listening to Tricky Toll Radio, and now I'm going to do a say This is from the Wretched TV, uh, TV show. Well, this one's the radio part. And it says, What to say at a funeral? The Gospel of Nice, Holy Ghost versus Holy Spirit. Here on Trippy Toll Radio. Oh, sorry. I thought I had it on. I was playing the wretched, but it says it was muted, so sorry about that. I guess I'll we'll play something else later. Uh, I'll play a song for now. Let's see if I will here on Tributaria. Clue. 
start out with the concept is there, life before Christ, meeting Christ, life after Christ, but not how things got better after Jesus. That may be true, and there is truth to that. But instead, make sure that you talk about Grandpa or yourself and say, before meeting Christ, I lived like this. I thought like that. I acted in this manner. Regarding law-breaking, I was breaking all of God's commandments. I was a lying, lusting, cheating, blasphemous, adulterer at heart who, who coveted and used God's name in vain and murdered with my thoughts and include all of the sins that you can think of. But then, Grandpa met Jesus, the one who could forgive him of all of his sins so that he did not have to face God on his death date and be cast into hell because that's the payment for our sins. So Grandpa repented, put his trust in Jesus Christ. And we are here today to mourn the loss because we love Grandpa, but we rejoice because we know that when God saved him, granting him repentance and faith, all of his sins, past, present, forgiven, uh, that, and future, forgiven, and he's promised to have eternal life, and one day he's going to be given a glorified body. And so as we mourn, we rejoice at the same time because Grandpa is in heaven with King Jesus. I know that he'd want me to ask you, if we were here preaching at your funeral, would we be able to say the same thing? Please know forgiveness is available to you no matter who you are or what you have done. Jesus is a bigger Savior than you are a sinner. And he will save you too, to the uttermost. He is a glorious and powerful Savior. Repent and put your trust in him today. That's what God wants. And I know that's what Grandpa would want for you too. See you in heaven, Gramps. That would be the same thing that you could do for your testimony. Probably not the see a Gramps part, but just make it about you. I before meeting Christ, and now my sins are forgiven. Now, what do you do with the benefits of salvation, that you're happy all the day, that you don't fear death, that maybe even things have gotten better for you? What do you do with those things? You can talk about those things, but very carefully, because remember, the gospel is not life enhancement. The gospel is Jesus died for my sins. Does that mean that there are no other blessings in the atonement? There are. It's just that that isn't the gospel. The gospel isn't the fruit. It isn't the benefits. The gospel is Jesus died for sinners. So carefully talk about how your life has changed. So, for instance, maybe you were a raging alcoholic. You got saved, and God took that desire away from you. Can you share that? Yes, you can. But don't make it sound like, so if you repent and put your trust in Jesus Christ, you'll be sober and you'll never struggle in your temptation against booze. Don't do that. Can you talk about those things? Can you talk about how, you know what, I was, I was bopping in and out of jail. I was in prison, felonies to boot. I had issues with fill in the blank, whatever they happened to be. I heard the gospel. God saved me. Uh, and now, progressively from that point, my life has settled down. I'm pointed in the right direction. My feet are planted on a rock, and guide, God guides my footsteps. And things have gotten better. For Can you share that? You bet you can. But don't make that the gospel. Make that 
a part of your story, but don't make that the offer. So if you come to Jesus, that will happen for you too. Got to be careful how we present the gospel. In fact, somewhere here, uh, I don't know where it is, uh, the gospel of nice. Somebody, uh, uh, Michael Lawrence apparently finished doing Blossom and the and the and the and the no, I don't know no. the other name of the Michael show. Lawrence was on the uh, <laughs> was on the Carol Burnett show. That was not Vicky family. Lawrence, and she was from Arabia. Oh, Biden! No, that's Lawrence of Arabia. Vicky Lawrence. Vicky Lawrence of Arabia. I spent some time with Vicky Lawrence. Um, I was a yeah. pagan at the time, and even then, her mouth made me blush. Wow. Look, I I know that unbelievers swear, but when it comes out of the mouth of a woman, that is always something special. Michael Lawrence, who was, I think he was married to Melissa, if I'm not mistaken. I actually had to look that up, just so you know. Wow. Yeah, Joey and Melissa, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then it was, was, he was on Blossom, and then it was the Brothers Lawrence or something like that. Oh, yeah. All right, Joey. Matthew Lawrence. Did he try to sing, by the way, the Joey Lawrence? Yeah, yeah. Well, that was a whole musical group at... Uh, I think he did a duet with Leif Garrett, if I'm not mistaken. I'm just making that up. Michael Lawrence wrote Nell Five Carter. Signs That Your Church Is Preaching the Gospel of Nice. And the gospel of nice is a subtle one. It's it, we, We've got to be careful that we're not bewitched. Oh, oh, foolish Western civilization in the 21st century people, like like the Galatians. Got to be careful. We can get off the mark on the gospel. The gospel of nice, It was he said something like, uh, from the pulpit, we talk about or, or Sunday school, when you hang out in the hallway, talk about other people's sins, but not our own. And talk about the big sins of other people, but not our own little sins. You don't hear confession much in church. Why? Because we don't want to talk about sins. We're trying to be nice to people. That gospel is not nice at all. When we try to be nice by removing the hard edges, talking about you know, mistakes and boo-boos and such. No, when you take that away, the gospel loses its shine. The more you talk about sin, the more amazing Jesus looks as an amazing Savior. If he's just the Savior of boo-boos, hiccups, and oopses, that doesn't make him all that glorious, frankly. But the Savior of sinners who are rebels against God Now we're talking, so be very, very careful when you are presenting the gospel that you don't remove the hard edges because when you water down the law, when you water down sin, you water down the gospel, and you water down Jesus. Listening to some of the Word of Faith preachers and some examples of uh, bad teaching, notice that they use Holy Ghost above and beyond any mention of the Holy Spirit. I was wondering if you know the basis behind Holy Ghost versus Holy Spirit. I see the Holy Spirit as more of a reverent condition as part of the Trinity. Holy Ghost more bringing it down to our level. I was just wondering what you thought. I think it's a translation issue. I, I, I think King James is, is the one who prefers Holy Ghost. Uh, I, I think uh, I, I think the the better because ghost has such baggage connected to it that spirit is better and i think it's closer to both the hebrew and the greek and nevertheless why do the nar folks seem to prefer that i think it's probably because they do tend to like the king james version of the bible believe it or not 
the NAR folks that you're describing, New Apostolic Reformation people, I don't know why, I can't tell you, but they do like the King James Version of the Bible. So that would be my guess. Is there anything to it beyond that? I doubt it. They, that movement doesn't tend to think a lot. <laughs> so I suspect that they probably didn't concoct something brilliant by way of deceiving people, but I just think it's probably because it's the King James Version. But please note how, how they use the Holy Ghost, how they talk about him far more than they talk about Jesus, which I am quite certain grieves the Holy Spirit because it's his role to shine the light on Jesus. And any movement that shines the light on anything else is not a movement that is actually being led by, ironically, the Holy Spirit. Until tomorrow, go serve your king. Thanks for listening to the Wretched Segment du Jour. If you'd like more Wretched, you can listen to the most current stream for free at wretched.tv slash listen, or you can become a club member and listen to our entire archive. Wretched, reaching the lost, equipping the saints, and strengthening the local church. Like I said, that was Richard, and find him at Richard.tv, Richard, W-R-E-T-C-H-E-D, dot TV, Richard.tv. Thanks for listening to Tall Radio. You can find us at truthbetoldradio.com, truthbetoldradio.com. And on Twitter, it's truthbetoldradio, but it's a letter B instead of B-E, so it's truth. The letter be told radio. So find us there. And if you want to see my testimony, it's at smiles and stuff. S M I L E S A N D S T U F F dot C O smiles and stuff dot com. And what I'm going to do for you now is play a song from Go Fish. Here we go. We kick it old school. 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 Come on, come on, don't miss the latest craze. Hit it for a minute, then it's on to the next phase. Easy come, easy go, the marketers will hack it. The only change that comes.
old school. That was Chicken Old School, and now we have Answers and Justice here on Tributoria. Rooted in God's Word. This is Ken Ham, whose ministry has produced the family-friendly Answers Bible curriculum. We're looking at 10 reasons every Christian should be a creationist. Number three, we must be rooted in the Word of God. Now in the New Testament, Paul warns against being blown around by every doctrine that comes and goes. If we accept man's word as truth, this will happen. Every time we turn on the news, we must reevaluate what God's word says and modify it to fit the newest claims by scientists. But if we start with the perspective of the Bible, that God's word is true, we can be firmly rooted in truth. The godless ideas of man will be blown away. Instead of allowing man to be our authority, we need to put our faith in the eyewitness creator who never lies and trust in his word. AnswersRadio.com is the place to go for solid apologetics content that honors and exalts God's word. Be encouraged and equipped when you visit us at AnswersRadio.com. Have you heard? The polar ice caps are melting. We're all going to drown. Oh, God already said he wasn't going to do that again. But the consumer-driven church still gets sucked into phony environmentalism, which has been branded creation care. Zondervan has published the Green Bible, which teaches us how creation cares for us. That's panentheism. The foreword was written by an Anglican priest who says there are parts of the Bible we need to ignore. So did Zondervan remove those parts from their Bible? Rick Warren, along with 100 evangelical leaders and 40 Christian college presidents, called for federal legislation to reduce CO2 emissions because that's loving your neighbor. And with God's help, we can stop global warming for our kids, our world, and for the Lord. Uh, God is the one who cursed creation. He subjected all things to futility because of the sinfulness of man. But the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God at the return of Jesus. God has a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Christ, things in heaven and on earth. He will wipe away every tear and death shall be no more. But you cannot reverse the effects of creation's decline. Who can straighten what God has made crooked? God told us to have dominion over all creation, to fill the earth and subdue it. Now, that includes treasuring our resources and respecting all living creatures. There are verses about that. But the only global warming the world needs to be concerned about is the fire of God being stored up for the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand when we understand the text. That was, like I said, when we understand text, also known as what? W-W-T-T. And you can find them at www.tt.com and on YouTube and, once again, www.tt.com. Let's see. What I'm going to do next is to play a song for you. This is Glory by Goldfish here on Trippy Tori.
I think you can stay in a relationship. I wouldn't call it dating. I wouldn't even call it courting because you shouldn't be moving toward marriage until she or he is saved. But you can stay in a non-sexual. Watch out for linking your heart to theirs. You can stay in a relationship to see if they get saved. And then if the person is born again, then you can start dating or courting. Short of that, don't do it. You will be sorry. Ask people in your church who are unequally yoked, and they will verify that there is no more difficult marital relationship than the one that is unequally yoked. Did you know that Jesus Unmasked now has a Sunday school study guide? According to the experts... Jesus Unmasked Sunday School Guide. I'm pretending to actually read that, but I'm making it up. The Jesus Unmasked Sunday School Guide is the single best Sunday school curriculum ever created in the history of Sunday school curriculum. Wow, that's what they say. Those are the same people who say that we're being tracked by the government. If you're getting ready for Sunday school, Jesus Unmasked now has a study guide showing Jesus in every book in the Old Testament. Your class will love it. They will be convinced, persuaded, and assured that the Bible is the supernatural Word of God and Jesus is the promised Savior beginning in Genesis 1. Take it from them. Get the Jesus Unmasked Sunday School Curriculum. Ray Comfort, he's at a university in California. There was a pro-life display. Some women showed up to protest because they're pro-abortion, and he asked them questions and clearly revealed, hmm, are you sure that your thinking is straight? But then, as Ray Comfort is so excellent at doing, what does he do? He then moves toward the solution for abortion and the solution for bad thinking and the solution for their sin problem. Do you believe in God's existence? No. An atheist? Yes. Do you believe the scientific impossibility that nothing created everything? Mm-hmm. Is that what you believe? It's scientifically impossible, Dan. You know that? Nothing can't create anything. You know there's a God because of creation. I believe in God, man. And you know what? in a society where we can make our own decisions about what we want to believe in. You think I could prove God's existence here in about two minutes? You can try. Diana, do you know what DNA is? Yes. It's a language. It's uh, coherent information. Uh, the moment you were conceived, your DNA was all instructed on how tall you're going to be, your eye color, your hair color. Everything about you is in your DNA. It's impossible for any book to make itself from nothing. No one could believe a book could make itself. And it's utterly, utterly impossible for DNA to have made itself because it's intelligent information. This young lady is getting very antsy. Why? Because Ray has exposed the inconsistency of her worldview, but then proceeded to step three. Let's get to the really important issue. As important as life is, let's get to the eternal life issue. So we know God exists intuitively, and we have a conscience we know right from wrong. Do you think you're a good person? I don't know. I don't think I'm a good person. I don't think I'm a bad person. Well, there's one way to find out. How many lies have you told in your life? A lot. You ever stolen something? 
ones. Have you ever used God's name in faith? I believe in God. Have you ever used this OMG? Oh my gosh, I use oh my gosh. Now Jesus said if you look with lust, you commit adultery in your heart. Have you ever done that? Um, I've never committed adultery. Have you ever looked with lust? It's your desire. Yeah, I have, since I was little. So, Diana, I'm not judging you, but you've told me you're a lying thief and an adulterer at heart, and probably a blasphemer, OMG. Now we're getting to the crux of the issue. Why is her thinking bad? It's because her believing is wrong. As a side note, are you listening to the tone of Ray Comfort? When Ray does open-air preaching, he has to be loud without amplification. And it might strike some people as being rather aggressive. We has to be when you're doing open air if you want anybody to actually hear. But do you hear the tenderness in his voice, the compassion that he is demonstrating, a great demonstration of speaking truth in love. Let me give you a quick summation, and then I'll let you go because you're uncomfortable. Are you? I'm very uncomfortable by your question. Let me just finish by sharing why I'm doing this. It's because I care about you. You may not realize that, but I do care about you. Every year, 54 million people die. 54 million. Just like you, young people making plans for tomorrow, and death swallows them. And after you die, you've got to face God in judgment, whether you believe in him or not. And he's going to judge you by the commandments that he wrote on your heart, on your conscience. And when you say abortion is a woman's right, you know it's wrong to kill the baby in a womb. It's written on your conscience. Yes, it is. How I know that because growing up, my whole family is religion. Christian? No, they're Catholic. Well, there's a big difference. Yeah, but still, but still, you know. Big difference. There's, there's moral moral values that they carry, and they they don't believe in abortion, but I do. I know you do. And let me close with this: Jesus died on the cross to take the punishment for the sin of the world. You don't have to end up in hell, Diana. Knowing Ray Comfort the way that I do, it is certain he would have spent more time at the cross, but I am quite certain the interview ended rather abruptly as Diana became increasingly convicted. You and I must learn to do the expository apologetics waltz. Let us be excellent pro-life apologists, but let us be even better afterlife proclaimers we want babies to live we want mommies to live forever in eternity when they repent and put their trust in jesus christ who will forgive even a woman or man who have been involved in an abortion now i know what you're thinking right now oh yes i do you're thinking I'm going to toss in another plug for this 13-episode series called Life is Best so that you can be an excellent pro-life apologist available at wretched.tv. But I'm not going to do... What do you think that I am anyway? Instead, I want to talk to you about preborn.org. This is a ministry. It is outstanding. They labor tirelessly to save babies, but equally to save mommies by proclaiming the gospel. At preborn.org, they use ultrasounds to show that's your baby in there, and it doubles the odds that the woman will keep her child, but they don't stop there. 
Instead, they make sure that every woman who visits their clinic hears the gospel because they recognize, this is going to sound radical, that as important as human life is, eternal life is even more important. Furthermore, they can save a baby, and clearly they desire to do that. I mean, after all, that's what they do. But they recognize if mom doesn't get saved, they're just going to see mom again and again and again. They want babies saved and souls saved. And if you'd like to support that amazing ministry, I heartily encourage you to visit preborn.org. That was from Richard, uh, different clips. Uh, find them at wretched.tv, wretched.tv, W-R-E-T-C-H-E-D.tv, wretched.tv. And thanks for listening with Cantor here on Trippy Tology. And I'll play a song for you. This one is called Gotta Move here on Trippy Tology. You gotta move. So lift your hands up high and jump with me And it's the real thing This ain't no show Yeah, we got spirit We're ready, set, go Gotta race, to run We're pulling up our socks Eyes on the prize And we're out of the box If you want a bad fruit You got the room Everybody's got a room Get up and get grooving You know the truth Don't miss your chance Get on your dancing shoes If you want a bad fruit
again, that was Gotta Move here on Trippy Toll Radio. And check us out at TrippyTollRadio.com. TrippyTollRadio.com. And now here's from Answers Justice here on Trippy Toll Radio. God's not to blame. This is Ken Ham, a missionary with a passion for sharing God's word with the world. All this week and next, we're looking at 10 reasons why every Christian should be a creationist. Now, here's number four. Have you ever wondered why there's death and suffering in creation? Have you ever felt like blaming God for the death of a loved one or an illness? Well, when we take God's word as history, we have a different perspective on such trials. They're not God's fault. Death and suffering are consequences of sin. God's creation was very good, but mankind sinned and the punishment was death. Where to blame? Not God. When we have the right perspective, we can become more like Christ as we go through trials. That's because we can trust our good God is working all things for good. Sign up for daily email insights from Ken Ham when you go to AnswersRadio.com. You can also listen to this program again or view a complete transcript at AnswersRadio.com. My God is so big and so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. My God is so big and so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. My God is so big and so strong and so
Radio, and we'll go out with Yancey and friends with the VR really fly for now. 